God, we thank you for this place where we can gather on a Sunday evening and just rest in your presence. Thank you that this is a space in which we can be safe. We don't have to turn in homework. No one's going to grade us. And we're reminded of what really matters. And so, God, in this space, remind us of what really matters. Sometimes it's the presence of cancer in our lives which reminds us of the things that matter most. And we see that not only in Michael, but also in Professor Bauma and Professor DeYoung and June DeBoer and Megan Herringa and some of us in here who are survivors. We pray for your healing power to work in the lives of all on this campus who are struggling with cancer or its after effects. And sometimes, Lord, it's a, it's a big tragedy that reminds us of what we have and what can so easily be taken away. So we pray for the people of Nepal, people who are sleeping outdoors tonight because they are so scared about what could happen next. And Lord, we know that fear often drives people to make bad choices. And so we pray that your peace descends on the nation in ways that are beyond their imagining. That there will be many who rise up to serve others. We pray for all those who are traveling right now to help. Keep them safe. Give them energy. Keep them healthy. And Lord, we pray for your redemptive work to come out of this because you are a God who is all about bringing life out of death. And so we pray that. Pray for Herb and Sherry and their children as they are on sabbatical and have grown to love and care for these people. And so we pray that in your mercy, you will give them words to say and also help them to learn at the same time. We pray for the Church of Jesus Christ in these countries that have been affected, and we pray that your name will be lifted up, Jesus, that you will be seen as the great healer and the God of mercy. And God, sometimes it takes other things that wake us up. So Holy Spirit, we thank you for those nudges you give us that say, wake up. Something in your life has fallen asleep. You're not paying attention to the right things. And so we thank you for this parable that we'll read tonight, which tells us to wake up. Holy Spirit, use the reading and preaching of your word tonight to do in our lives what you need it to do. We thank you, Jesus, that you are an amazing teacher and that these words have been captured and so they won't only used once, but they've been used again and again and again through the centuries of your church as this parable has been read and taught and preached and studied. Thank you, Jesus, that you never stop teaching us. And so teach us tonight. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So if you were paying good attention to the lead up uh, to the sermon, you'll know that we're talking about the return of Jesus. Um, something that our worship planners do really well is that if you're paying attention from the beginning, you should have a pretty good idea what I'll be preaching about by the time I stand up here. And so tonight we're looking at Matthew 25. And we're actually going to be looking at this chapter for the next three weeks. 
So um, today, May 2, May 9, and then that final loft is Testimony Sunday. So we'll look forward to that. That's the, the May 16. That's in the middle of exams. So just so you know. So we'll do the next three on Matthew 25 and then Testimony. So this is page 806 in your pew Bibles. Matthew 25, we'll be reading verses 1 through 13. Jesus says this, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there won't be enough for you and for us. You'd better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the word of the Lord. So to get an idea of what Jesus is talking about in this parable, we need to have some understanding of the wedding customs of the day. And generally, they went something like this. There was a groom who lived in one village, and there was a bride who lived in another village. And their marriage was arranged by their parents. In some cases, the only time the bride and groom would have ever met each other would be on the day of their engagement, the day in which they were betrothed to each other. And after they had made this commitment to each other, each would go back to his or her village and get ready for the wedding. Now for the groom, this meant that he had to build an addition onto his parents' house. This is exactly how you should live your lives. <laughs> so he would build an addition onto his parents' house because the families soon like, became like tribes, right? You just add on after everybody was married. And so he would build his house. But because he also had like a job and life and stuff, he was a carpenter or a fisherman or he did something else, this would, he'd have to do this kind of on the side. And so it would take him a while, like months or a year. Meanwhile, in this village over here, the bride is getting ready. And she's learning all the things that she needs to do to be able to run a household. How to go to the market and barter for things. How to repair things. How to manage children. She's learning from watching her older sisters or cousins and dealing with children. And she's learning all the ways in which she has to manage a household. And... Of course, there's like the dress and the hair and the makeup, you know. Say yes to the dress is very, very old in concept. <laughs> so all of this is happening over here while he's trying to build the house. Now, the person who got to say when it was time for the wedding was the father of the groom. The father of the groom would be the one to say to his son, all right, this looks good. Your house is ready. Our home is ready to take in your bride. It will be late afternoon someday, and he would come to his son and say, Today. Today's the day. 
Now, the groom would have a buddy, let's call him a best man, and his job would be to run ahead from one village to the other village and say, he's coming, it's today, today's the day, he's going to get here, he's going to come, he's coming, he's coming, it's happening, it's right now, it's today. That would be his job, all right? Like totally out of breath when he gets there, like, he's coming, he's Right? That's his job. That's, that's his job. Now, the attendants of the bride, their job was to get ready to light the way from the village of the bride back to the village of the groom. They had to have the lamps and the oil because often these things happen in the evening because that's the start of a new day in the Jewish calendar, right? So it happened in the evening and the party would go on for seven days. And so the, the role of the bridesmaids was to have oil and light so that they get a whole group of people all the way back to the groom's house. That was what they had to do. So, in this parable, you have five bridesmaids who have their acts together. They got plenty of oil. They, picture, like, they got the water bottle hosters. They're like, ready to go. <laughs> they got the oil. Then you got other people who are like, mm, I don't know, whatever. Looking at my phone. <laughs> they're, just, they're just not paying attention. They, they, they're like, oh, I'll be fine. I'm not really worried about this thing. And then sure enough, you know, it takes a while. The guy comes and they're like, oh, he's coming. It just takes a while. So the light burns out. Oh, he's coming now. Now he's really close. Oh, everybody wake up. Wake up. Here we go. Here we go. And they say, hey, could you share with us? And they're like, if we share with you, no one will have enough. That, that's a bad idea on a wedding, to run out of light. We are not going to share with you. By the way, parable, not about sharing. Not the point of the parable. <laughs> Say, no, no, we're not going to do that. So, so the five foolish ones run off to get oil. Meanwhile, the whole party goes, woo, all the way back to the village of the groom. And they're ready, and they're having the banquet. They shut the door, and the five ones kind of go, oh, we have made it, we're here. Guys... Let us in. We're here. We're here. And the groom comes out, and he looks at these bridesmaids, and he says, You had one job! <laughs> you had one job! Be ready. That was your job. How hard is that? I gave you like a year. You had one job. You've embarrassed me. You've embarrassed my wife. You've embarrassed our families. No. No banquet for you shut out. Now that's a hard story. That is a hard story. And Jesus is telling it to the 12 disciples. He's not telling it to a big crowd on a hillside. He's not telling the story to a bunch of people along the lake. He's telling it to the 12 people who have been with him. For three years, they have eaten meals together and taken walks together, and they have seen him do miracles, and they have been with him almost every minute of every day. And it is to these 12 people who know him better than anyone else, and he looks at them and he says, you guys got to be ready. Even they are at risk. The ones who have been with him. That's the ones who hear this parable. Because Jesus knows that there's going to be a delay. 
No one knows the day or the hour, he says. Only the Father knows. He knows that there's going to be a delay, and he knows that when delays come, temptation comes in, and you start to slack off. And he wants the disciples to be ready. If Jesus is this passionate about the disciples that he was with every day for three years, how do you think he feels about us? I had a conversation this week with a student who asked me about evangelism. And she said, why don't we talk more about evangelism at Calvin? I thought that's such a great question. And I think one of the answers is because we kind of assume that everybody around here has got it. You know, everyone's, everyone's saved. Everyone kind of knows Jesus. Everybody's ready. Really? Are we? Are you? Am I? This is a parable for people who were given every chance, every chance, and they missed it. They had been given every chance. They knew the engagement was coming. The attendant had already told him he was on the way. There was another warning that was given. They had every chance, and they missed it. Can you think of people on planet Earth who have been given more chances than the people of Calvin College? Are we ready? Are we awake? Jesus is concerned about his disciples because he wants his disciples at the party. He wants his disciples to be there. He wants them at the party. And he knows it's going to be tough. And so this last bit in Matthew, this is thick with parables about you don't know the day or the hour and you've got to be ready and hard things are coming. And he warns them again and again and again. But that's not all that he does. After his death and resurrection, he teaches the disciples for 40 days. Did you know that? The 40 days between Easter and Ascension Day, he appears to them again and again, and he teaches them. This is how Luke puts it at the beginning of the book of Acts. After Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them alive by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While eating and staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, Jesus said, is what you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So in these 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension, Jesus reviews all the material that they have learned so far. 
All the stuff that they have learned in their years of walking with him and eating with him and learning with him and watching him, he compresses it all into 40 days in a capstone course to beat all capstone courses. Talk about the integration of faith and learning right there. (laughs) He's like, you guys got to know this. I want you to know this. I'm going to teach it to you so you are ready. And I want you to know that when I send the Holy Spirit's coming down, So Jesus not only warns them to get ready, he also gets them ready. He gets them fired up. And sure enough, when the Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost, what do these guys do? They start preaching the gospel. They start talking all about the resurrection. They're so nuts about this idea, people think they're drunk. They start praying for each other and they start giving all their stuff to each other and they start like evangelizing people and the Holy Spirit like picks one of them up and puts them in a desert and he converts an Ethiopian eunuch. And they also get thrown into prison and they also get killed and they don't stop. You want to know what it looks like to be ready You want to know what it looks like to be awake? Read the book of Acts. Because you had these 12 people, Judas out, Matthias in, these 12 disciples who had heard the warnings of Jesus, who had been prepared, and they were on fire. They lived as if the kingdom of God actually mattered. They lived as if Jesus Christ was actually going to come back and they wanted to be ready. And so this meant that they were willing to give whatever they had in their pockets because, well, what am I going to need that for? I really trust that God's going to take care of me. They prayed with each other for healing because they had seen, they had seen God do it. And so they did it. And they called people on their sin And they served the widows and the orphans. They spent their lives for the sake of the kingdom. Every one of them. Every one of them. Eleven of them died as martyrs. The twelve died in exile. They lived and died for the kingdom of God. They were ready. Are you ready? Are you ready to live as if the kingdom of God actually matters? Matters more than your job, matters more than your GPA, matters more than your romantic life, matters more than anything? Are you ready to live as if the kingdom of God actually matters? What would it look like if we lived our lives as if we were ready? Well, think about that student who asked me about evangelism this week. We talked about how you actually have to practice evangelism. You you actually have to practice it with people because if you just like try it on your own, you're going to be so nervous the very first time. Now, some of you have done this for a while, but for those of us who haven't actually had a conversation with someone, a non-believer about the gospel, let's get to that. That'd be a good thing. But here's how you do it. You practice with somebody. You say, let me try this out on you. 
And here's an exercise you can use. Imagine that you step into an elevator and it's a tall building. You got about three minutes of, of elevator time. It's just you and one other person. The person says, Calvin College, what kind of a, you have Calvin sweatshirt. Calvin College, what kind of, that's a Christian college. It's in Michigan. Really? Are you a Christian? Yeah. Why? You got three minutes. What do you say? I'm serious about this. This is your homework. I, I lied in the prayer. You get homework. I love it. <laughs> when you're walking back to your dorm tonight, when you're driving home, when you're with your mentor or your mentee or your Bible study, or just practice. Time each other. Like, you got three minutes. Why do you believe in Jesus? Go! Why do you love the church? Go! Why are you a Christian? Go! Get ready! Peter writes in his epistle that we need to be ready at all times to give an answer for the hope that is in us. you got to be ready. Because the truth is, not everybody you meet at Calvin College is a Christian. Are you aware of this? There are people on this campus that are desperate for the gospel and they don't even know it. And don't get freaked out if you're in class and somebody comes up that somebody's an agnostic, which means that they really don't know what they believe, or they're an atheist, which means they don't believe in God. Do not get freaked out, my brothers and sisters, for this is an opportunity for you to show some love. In my experience, most people wander into atheism or agnosticism because of a deep wound. God didn't answer a prayer the way they wanted. There was some tragedy that hit their life that they couldn't explain. There's some intellectual question that they can't answer and can't figure out how to answer. And sometimes the God that they don't believe in is a God we, we actually don't believe in either. So if someone comes into your life and they, through course of conversation, you understand that they're agnostic or they're an atheist, say, tell me more about that. There must be a story there. How did you come to Calvin? What's it been like for you? Get to know them and love them. And then tell them in time, as the Holy Spirit leads, about Jesus. Do not be afraid. We have been promised that when the opportunity comes for us to bear witness to the hope that, was it, that is within us, the Holy Spirit will be like, I got this, I got this, I got this. Keep talking, I'm in it, I'm in it. I'm in it, go, 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 open your mouth, open your mouth. The Holy Spirit's going to be so excited that you're doing it. He's going to be like, yeah, yeah, now say this. Now say this. You'll be like, I didn't even know that. That's brilliant, thank you. <laughs> That's most of my sermons. Wow, thank you very much, that was fantastic. <laughs> That's how you get ready. Anticipate that there is someone that the Lord is going to place in your life who's going to need to hear the gospel from you. From you. Stay awake. Stay awake. So we, we get ready by getting our evangelism chops on. And we get ready by weaving the virtues that Jesus has talked about into our lives. 
So I was talking with a couple this week. They haven't been married very long. And they were talking about a particular fight that they had on their honeymoon. And I have their permission to tell you this story, even though you will not know who it is. And so they, they're, they're poor. And uh, <laughs> they've saved up money for their honeymoon. And they've got it like budgeted down to the penny. And they decide to leave the resort one night and go out for dinner. And as they're leaving the little resort and driving in their little car, the bride leans over to the security guard and she says, hey, we're going out for dinner. Can I bring you anything back? And he places an order. And her husband's like, what are you doing? We have no money. We have budgeted this thing down to the last penny and you're offering to buy this guy dinner? Like, come on, be a team player. And so we're talking about this, and I asked the groom, I said, is her generosity one of the things you like about her? And he said, well, yeah, I, yeah, it is. I said, if the Lord blesses you with children, wouldn't, would you like them to have a mother who is generous and teaches them how to be generous? And he said, I would, I would like that. I said, so how can we build this into your marriage? Assuming that she is always going to want to be a generous person, assuming this is actually a fruit of the Spirit that we like about her, as if there'd be a fruit of the Spirit we wouldn't like, but this is, <laughs> this is something we want to fan into flame. We want to encourage this generous spirit in her. We're pretty sure this is the way that Jesus would want us to live. How do we set this up? And so we talked about designing their marriage budget so that in addition to the, to the money they give every week to the church, we talked about what if you gave 20 bucks every month to her? You just set it aside in your, in, your, in your little budget together and 20 bucks went to her to give to whoever she wanted. So she sees the guy with the sign on the corner and she's like, I got 20 bucks with your name on it. Or if she wants to buy coffee for somebody. Or if she's in line getting her lunch and she's like, I'm gonna pay for this stranger behind me. Like, she's got 20 bucks of play every month. And they just wove that in so that they can be ready for those opportunities of generosity as they come along. And you know what's going to happen to him eventually? I think he's probably watching. He's going to want his 20 bucks. I want to give away 20 bucks. Let's give away 40 bucks a month. And then it's going to be like, let's give away 80. And then they're going to be like, let's just give away more because it's so much fun. In the book of Acts, giving was fun because everybody was doing it. And it was just like, we're not keeping score. You give it. I give, oh, yeah, that's great. Or they run into trouble and somebody said, yeah, I totally gave that much. And Peter was like, really? I don't think you did. And Bert's like, no, totally gave that much. Pew, the guy dies. Did you know this scariest story in the Bible, I think? <laughs> Hi, we sold this field and we're going to give you the money. Great. Boom. Like, whoa. Then his wife comes in. This is one of the funny parts of the story. Three hours later, she has no idea. I'm like, did she not have a friend who was like, Sapphira, you're never going to believe what happened. No, three hours later, she comes in. Peter's like, hey, your husband was in here. said he sold your land for this much. Was that true? Totally, she says. Boom. And the guys who just buried her husband are like, seriously? Come on. Right? 
Which brings us to the next thing about community, in a more serious way. We get ready by calling people on their crap. The Jubilee Fellows have been reading Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And toward the end of the book, Bonhoeffer writes about being in community, and he says, true friends are able in a time of crisis to speak God's truth to each other and say, this is what's really happening. This, this is what I see in your life. These are the things in your life that need mending. These are the sleepy areas in your life that need to be woken up. And in our discussion, one of the students said, you know what's difficult in contemporary culture is that there's assumption that friendship means I'm always going to like you and everything you do. And then there's this risk that if I point out to you something that I really don't like or something that's actually hurting me, that our friendship will be over. That instead of strengthening relationship, I could actually fracture relationship by telling you the truth. You know how we get ready? You know how we become awake? We have other people tell us the truth. And we have the courage to speak truth to other people. Hey, you know when we go out to Founders, I think you should stop at two beers because after two, you get stupid. It's a general rule applies to many, many people. <laughs> Could you receive that? Could you say that? I know you're engaged and that's great and I know you want to spend a lot of time together, but I need to say that I think it's inappropriate for you to spend the night at that other person's house. And I'd love to be in conversation with that about, about that with you because I really think you're setting up your future marriage for some difficulties. And I love you too much to let that happen. Hey, I know uh, it's been kind of a busy year and we've both been kind of bopping around to different churches all year, but what if we said in the fall when we come together, we're going to pick a church, we're going to get invested in it, and we're going to help each other do that? Because I, I just really think it's time to be an adult around this. Could you say that? Could you hear that? Sometimes you gotta build up to this. Like we, we said at the Jubilee Fellows class, like sometimes we have hard time saying to our roommate, pick up your socks. <laughs> and if you can't say to somebody, pick up your socks. First of all, if the Lord calls you into marriage, it will be very difficult. <laughs> Second, if you can't tell somebody to pick up their socks, it's very hard to tell them that they're drinking too much. It's very hard to, t to talk with them about church or sexuality or money or any of the things that God, through Jesus Christ, invites us to talk about. You get ready by calling each other into kingdom living. You get ready by saying, I'm living for something that matters way more 
than this little incident in our relationship. And I love you so much and I'm so committed to our friendship that I'm going to say this thing. And I'm going to trust that when I say the thing, you're going to receive the thing and we're going to be okay. I'm going to be so excited about the kingdom. I'm going to be so excited about getting ready that whenever somebody is around me, they're not going to be able but to pick up on that. Like she's a little nutty about the kingdom. That woman's a little crazy about Jesus. I don't know, when I'm with her, it's like I'm both called to account on things, but then I'm really happy about it. It's very confusing. Like, that's the kind of friend we want. That's the kind of friends I have in my life that I'm so grateful for. The kind when you kind of come away, you feel like, you know, you've had a really good workout and you're really sore and tired and also, like, have lots of adrenaline. Because these are people who want to get me ready for the kingdom and I want to get them ready for the kingdom. I want Jesus to come back and say, I'm throwing a party and you're coming. Jesus wants you at the party. He wants you at the party. That's why he spends so much time saying, get ready for the party, get ready for the party, get ready for the party, get ready for the party. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be awesome. You're not going to win. Get ready for the party. Basically, the last few chapters of Matthew are all of that message. I want you at the party so much. I'm going to die to get you in. Will you live as if that's true? Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. Jesus is coming for you. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that before any one of us was conceived in our mother's wombs. You had a plan for the world. You had a plan to send your son as a babe in the manger, as a rabbi, as a teacher of parables, as someone who would provoke people and tell them to wake up and get ready. And so, Lord, in any area of our life where we neglect you or we don't take you seriously, where we're afraid of what the gospel demands, will you call us and wake us up? Will you encourage us to get ready, to live kingdom lives, to live for what really matters? God, we pray for Calvin College. We pray for anyone on this campus who does not believe. For anyone that we encounter who is not ready. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you give us the courage and the words to say what needs to be said, and in some cases to listen without speaking, because in our listening we can love deeply. And so Lord, we pray that we go out from here with eyes wide open to see the work that you are doing and the work that still needs to be done. Make Calvin College a place that is ready. Wake us up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.